Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. The following is intended for bizarre audiences only. Welcome to the Midnight Library. Madam, a guest has arrived early. And catatonic. <laughs> well, if you'd like a pre-reading snack, you'd better make it quick. Yeah, uh, they're, they're wearing too much scent for my liking, madam. And they keep mumbling. Something about a beacon and an indigo ghost? Beacon? Indigo ghost? <gasps> the prophecy from the Book of Yzma. The right guest has eaten the right golden mushroom. Darling, escort the honored guest to the throne in the indigo room. Help them into the sacred gown. Place the blessed basin at their feet. And give them the chalice with the wine of Aunt Wanda. I am not a butler, madam. Uh, not yet. Uh, uh, just let me tend to that guest. Mm-hmm. Good evening, everyone. Please come through. Oh, how lovely to see you, albeit a bit uh, bewildered from your stroll in the enchanting atmosphere of our sprawling woods. I know what a challenge it can be getting here, and uh, I do wonder sometimes how many of you don't actually make it to the library. Which is sad, sort of. Now, find a comfy spot. Welcome to the Midnight Library, everyone. I am, for tonight, your hallucinatory host, Miranda Merrick. But if you believe I'm here with you, that certainly counts with me. Uh, before we begin, please let me apologize for the dampness of the air in the reading room this evening. <laughs> but as you found on your way here, a warm, heavy fog has settled upon the entire grounds uh, for days and days now because, well, we're fond of fog. Very fond. It's never a hindrance for many of us because... Well, Mr. Darling has excellent eyesight as well as an inhuman sense of smell, and uh, my grandmothers and I all have a little harmless eye condition that amazingly allows us to see to a surprising degree through the heaviest of fog, even from a great distance and height. Now, before I forget, in honor of our delectable topic of fungi, there is on the hospitality tray a variety of crafted mushroom treats, so-called fruiting bodies, if you will, all gathered with great care by the League of Lady Gravediggers from our woods. We certainly hope you enjoy them. 
Some of the more uncommon kinds commonly grow in our cemetery or even on the graves directly. Some are so rare, I don't believe they've ever been identified by any living mycologist who was uh, permitted to or able to examine them. What a pity. Amusingly, I cannot even supply you with an accurate number of how many kinds of fungi there actually are in the world, for several reasons. A. They are an ancient and global life form that have evolved and adapted to their ever-changing environments, which they continue to do. Uh, B. They live in some very inhospitable locations underwater, high up in the canopies of trees, on mountaintops, deep in the earth, and even some remain alive while in the air. Some, mainly the microscopic sort, live and thrive on animals and humans. And see, there may not be enough biologists, taxonomists, and mycologists to doggedly travel the world and find all of the hidden varieties and subtle subclasses. Depending upon the form you inquire about, numbers range from a few hundred thousand to over five million. With only polite guesses as to how many fungi may exist, but are yet to be identified. Many are delicious, many are deadly, while some are medicinal, and some are strangely somewhere in between. Which reminds me, I need to remind Mr. Darling to rehang the Trespassers Welcome sign in our western woods. I have to confess, dear guest, not to that. Once I began looking at all of the odd and bizarre shapes and striking colors of the astonishing array of mushrooms that there are, I feel I've fallen under their spell just a bit by this act alone. I saw drippy little black parasols, glowing honeycombed orbs, azure blue umbrellas, rotting fingers, clumps of delicate sponge cake, and lumps of punctured bleeding flesh. At least that's, that's what the mushrooms looked like. Uh, I was so entranced uh, that I had our Miss Tess order a giant coffee table book packed with the stunning glossy photos of all of the most repulsive ones. I think most people hardly ever give mushrooms much thought, apart from smartly including them in salads and pasta, and on pizza of course. Don't look at me like that, they're wonderful. But of course there are the enthusiasts who seek out the alternative types of mushrooms for their transcendental and hallucinogenic powers, which I would be remiss in my duties to you as host if I failed to mention this fascinating aspect of the spongy, fungi bodies. So uh, more on this later. 
For now, I want to share with you several compelling old bits of lore and legends from days of yore and the old lands of our ancestors about the magic of mushrooms, which are, believe it or not, genetically more closely related to humans than they are to plants. Perhaps that's why some of us are so drawn to them. Let's begin in one of the most magical spots. Let's throw caution to the wind and step into a fairy ring. Long ago, English, Celtic, and Scandinavian people believed the random patches of land encircled by mushrooms were caused by fairies and pixies gleefully dancing beneath a shining full moon on warm summer nights. The so-called elf rings, elf dens, and pixie rings were naturally a fascination for humans. The often pallid mushrooms of varying sizes happily shooting up from the earth in a perfect loop, all in formation, seeming as though they were all in agreement to join there for a single purpose or reason, and almost beckoning to any hapless passerby to simply walk into this naturally pleasing special spot. The lore of old warned that if you were to step inside the alluring ring of mushrooms, you would be swept up into the enchanting realms of the fairies, where time had no meaning. There you would see them dressed in their odd finery, some in glittering gowns made of flowers or top hats and tails, made of shimmering leaves, even riding upon magnificent white horses with bejeweled saddles and bridles. And you would willingly dance with the menagerie of the strange folk to their irresistible music, floating in the rhythm of the twinkling whirlwind of magic and carefree laughter, perhaps forever. <laughs> One serious drawback to this otherworldly, rapture-like experience was that you would disappear and never return to your life and time. Although there are tales of humans being released from the mystical spell of fairy glamour, it is said that when the compelling music suddenly stopped, and the beautiful fairies vanished in an instant. The person found themselves merely standing alone inside the mushroom ring that they had stepped into only moments before, and could easily step back out again, as though the entire ethereal experience had only been a momentary dazzling dream. But once they stepped back over outside of the circle of mushrooms, they noticed that they were stiff with pain and could hardly move. Their muscles were wasted away and their joints had seized up. 
Some so weak they dropped to the ground and crawled beyond the bounds of the once enchanting ring, with onlookers asking them, Hey, where are you going, old-timer? The freed dancer only then realizing that decades and decades or perhaps even a century or two had passed since the seemingly brief moments they had just spent joyously prancing with the entrancing fairy folk. The crumbling aged person becoming painfully aware that everything and everyone they had ever known and loved had long passed away into eternity, years and years hence. Charmingly, there is an alternative version to this folklore favorite that you may not have heard of, but that I find myself oddly proud to share with you, for, uh, no particular reason. In medieval times in France and Germany, the wise people there seemed to know that the mysterious mushroom-surrounded grounds were the result of much more powerful and dark forces. Some rings that encircled brown and dying grass was said to have been left by the scorching tails of fiery dragons, and that this damaged the dirt so that it would only grow noxious toadstools on the spot for seven years. Even more accurate, one might guess, was the belief in what was known as sorcerer's rings, or more precisely, hexen rings, or witch's rings. The magical toadstools sprouting in honor of the dainty and divine feet of the supernatural witches, holding their sacred dance ceremonies on Walpurgisnacht, to mark the night of superior satanic forces, rendezvousing with demonic spirits and casting retaliatory spells and... Uh, to celebrate the spring season, uh, going into blissful sunny summer or whatever with peace and love and kindness and all of that. Um, in any case, they really believed it would be foolish for you to enter one of these mushroom rings, warning you that you could meet with the invisible evil spirits dwelling there and lose something as trivial as an eye or even your life. If you have crossed or snubbed a particular witch, you may want to watch your step or tread carefully on your travels or even on your own property. We've read that um, fog can be an uh, effective hindrance to one's judgment. The famous folklore fungal rings can range in size from a few inches being formed by only less than a dozen or so small mushrooms to those reaching a circumference of several hundred feet. 
the path of the meandering mushrooms encompassing huge swaths of ground and trees that you may not even realize you've crossed into, especially in that uh, heavy fog. <laughs> A few types of the mushrooms found to grow in the circular pattern are the Scotch Bonnet, which is a large, delightfully edible, pale brown and meaty mushroom often used in hearty soups and scrumptious stews, and the slimmer, quite similar-looking ivory funnel toadstool, also known as the sweating mushroom, because if you eat it, you begin to sweat profusely from ingesting its poison, which is toxic in small amounts, causing fever and nausea and vomiting, and deadly in large amounts, causing major organ damage and, well, death. So choose wisely. Speaking of wise choices, tonight's reading in the Midnight Library is proudly brought to you by Grimm's Grocers. If you happen to be the magical sort who can eat all the toadstools like candy, Grimm's is a veritable toadstool resort with the deadliest ones kept handy. They know you need them for dubious acts, to cast spells and to meet with the wicked, to appear in a nightmare so you can attack, to right wrongs against you committed. Stink horns to witch butter to funeral bells, so many disgusting by far. Sold at Grimm's but grown in hell, and hermetically sealed in a jar. Just wear a mushroom or toadstool pin on your collar, your hat, or lapel. A goblin stock boy with a fiendish grin will escort you down where they dwell. Way beneath the basement of Grimm's, it's so hot below where they've got them. So deep you can hear the demons sing hymns, and you'll get a red-hot bottom. Fill your cart before the jars blow up and dash up and ask for Kathleen. The stench alone would make Satan throw up, but not their clerk number 13. On special this week at Grimm's, if you're ready for a wild ride, try Fiona's Flying Ointment for hours of in-flight comfort and vivid beyond-the-veil visions. Fiona's Flying Ointment is available in two floral scents, Corpse Flower and Cemetery Roses. Pick up a weasel skullful today. Put just a dab well, you know, a choosy witches choose Fiona's flying ointment. A behind-the-counter item only at Grimm's Grocers on the corner of Vincent and Price. Uh, now, where were we? Ah, mushroom lore from long before. If you cast a careful eye over many age-old stone carvings and reliefs, you will see a common theme hiding in plain sight on countless numbers of them. Egyptian hieroglyphics include single mushroom images as well as sprigs of them in groups. 
to the Egyptians, the fruiting plant was a rarefied delicacy, reserved for royalty or a ceremonial tool during which a pharaoh or priest would eat the divine shoots and transcend to a state of mind where they would communicate with the gods. If I myself ever had such an opportunity, uh, I just want to take tea with Anubis. And of course, the ancient Eastern cultures of China and Japan have used the fresh and dried preparations of a wide variety of mushrooms for thousands of years, believing and trusting in their powers of healing or to induce strength and longevity and wisdom to those who consume them. In Lithuania, a certain type of edible mushroom referred to as the fingers of Valnaius, who was the Lithuanian god of the dead, was thought to grow out of the kind generosity of the god, so that his people, especially the poor, would always have something to eat. Unsurprisingly, the Druids were said to venerate and consume the flesh of one of the most recognizable mushrooms, the generally red with white spots fly agaric. They supposedly prepared the fruit of the dangerous mushroom, uh, one would guess in some marginally ceremonial fashion, eat it, then sit in seclusion. One book here in the library speaks of sweat houses in which the priestly druid would be in direct communication with not gods, but the universe that would endow them with secret knowledge and powerful states of enlightenment. This famous red and white polka-dotted mushroom has left its metaphysical mark on the minds of countless cultures and individuals who believe that it has the power to unlock recessed corners of the human psyche, to aid in gaining control and understanding of human emotions and the very nature of existence. I know that you are familiar with the image of this particular mushroom, but what you may not have noticed is how often it pops up in popular culture. The mushroom is a staple in children's books like Alice in Wonderland, cartoons like the Smurfs, and video games like Super Mario Brothers, as well as in photographs, movies, and works of art. The distinctive mushroom is often cast with fairies and gnomes in lawn statues, with some of the enchanted beings sporting the spotted mushroom caps as hats. There's even a compelling theory that insists that several characteristics of Santa Claus and some Christmas traditions were initially inspired by the famous fly agaric and came from northern or tundra-dwelling cultures. The Koryak people of Siberia have long told tales of the powerful mushroom that grew under pine trees. They have stories of how their shaman would don a red suit with white trim or white spots when gathering the sacred plant, then hang the mushrooms on the branches of the pines to dry them out in order that they might be more suitable for rituals. 
The shaman, even collecting the fresh mushrooms into his socks and then hanging them up over his fire to dry them. Then there's the curious way the reindeer factor into this. The fly agaric mushroom can be deadly to humans if ill-prepared or if too much is eaten. But reindeer love them and can eat them without being harmed. Unbelievably, northern dwellers figured out centuries ago that all of the dangerous toxins contained in the mushrooms became filtered out by the munching reindeer, but that the funly fascinating hallucinogenic properties could still be found and enjoyed uh, in the reindeer's urine. Another interesting thing, the mushroom is said to give the reindeer an exciting rush of adrenaline, causing them to rear up and prance and jump they often jump so high, they were said to be flying. If you are in the habit of foraging for your own mysterious mushrooms, you may like to know. Tonight's reading and the magical goodies on the hospitality tray are brought to you by the League of Lady Gravediggers. So you've been hunting high and low on the trees and forest floor for a kind of mushroom and you know just the sort you're looking for. It's pink on top of a dark red stem. Or was it the other way around? Was it dry or coated in gray phlegm? In a log or on the ground? The League of Lady Gravediggers are expert mushroom finders. It's another part of their repertoire, but there is just one reminder. Big Lou's almost always right, and uh, Penny's pretty good. So if you dare to take a bite, your death is a likelihood. You really shouldn't worry, though, because they'll bury you with care. The ladies'll tend your grave, you know, planting mushrooms everywhere. The League of Lady Gravediggers would like to thank everyone who showed up to cheer them on at their softball game in Possum Park last weekend. And they assure you that there is no truth to the rumor that their former jersey designer is buried under third base. He, uh, he, he moved away. To get the girls who sure know how to shovel it, call 976 Ditch witches. Now, let's venture into a sunnier corner of mushroom lore and talk a little bit about agonizing death. There's a famous quote attributed to the late author Terry Pratchett. All fungi are edible. Some fungi are only edible once. And this sassy little statement simply could not be more true in regards to a few of the most deadly mushrooms. Initially, I was going to happily read to you all about the thousands of reported mushroom poisonings that happen globally each year. And while the number of those afflicted with the grievous bodily harm is amazingly high, 
The number of actual fatalities incurred from the poisonings is, uh, in my opinion, uh, dismally low, so I'm officially leaving this out. However, many of the marvelous mushrooms still get to deliver their powerful death blow to lots of hungry humans each year. This haphazard happening is mainly the sinister work of a group of toxic compounds called amatoxins, which are naturally produced in many mushrooms in various forms and amounts. Amatoxins offer a range of bodily inconveniences, some as mild as fever and a flush of color to the neck and face, perhaps a metallic taste in one's mouth, headaches and dizziness and such. But if you've gone hog-wild and scarfed down the lot of your misidentified mushrooms, or absolutely accidentally served them to someone who deserves them, the uh, consequential differential increases exponentially. Just a few of the deadliest mushrooms are and I'll include their pesky effects as I list them. Uh, let's begin with a heavenly-sounding one first. The Destroying Angel, a pretty and petite pale mushroom which can be confused early in their sprouting period with common button mushrooms. When eaten, the Destroying Angel causes increasingly concerning symptoms within about the first 5 to 24 hours, including blurred vision, delirium, vomiting, and diarrhea. Those who delay medical attention and even those who seek care quickly are nearly all guaranteed convulsions, liver and kidney failure, and death. Next, we have what is believed to be the most fatal fungi, the bit-on-the-nose named Death Cap. It's small and moderately bright. It looks exactly like you would imagine a stereotypical mushroom might, with a slight blush of green rouge on its biscuit-colored cap, smartly resembling two other edible species, straw mushrooms and Caesar's mushrooms. When eaten, this fungi swiftly sends its amatoxins into the digestive system, sending them throughout the body, quickly making itself a nuisance within 6 to 12 hours. Not even bothering much with the dainty early symptoms mentioned earlier, Death Cap kills a little more than 50% of its consumers, and makes its punishing presence known first with excruciating abdominal pains, followed by vomiting, excessive diarrhea that causes dehydration and extreme thirst, then conditions get worse, much worse, with central nervous system failure, urinary and blood sugar issues accompanied by liver and kidney failure, then coma finalized by death, which seems like a lot of work for a little mushroom. 
Uh, two noted historical figures who were believed to have been taken out by the mighty mushroom, Roman Emperor Claudius in 54 CE and Pope Clement VII in 1534. But each year, when the look-alike mushroom poisons fungus foragers in high numbers, some survive. Some. And last we have the wee webcap mushroom, also known as deadly webcap. A small, unassuming, rich brown mushroom with the devilish habits of one, resembling several varieties of perfectly edible and delicious other mushrooms, and two, causing a strange set of symptoms in its victims that come and go, and are sometimes misdiagnosed as flu. The eventual alarming symptoms can be delayed entirely, taking perhaps three weeks to manifest in the poisoned person. And I know what you're thinking, and you're right. With only traces of the amatoxin left to be found in the poisoned person, the cause of their extreme illness or even their death can be attributed to a number of other causes. How uh, uh, unfortuitous. Uh, in one famously unintentional case of poisoning from 2008, Author Nicholas Evans gathered, cleaned, cooked, and served deadly webcap mushrooms in a meal for his family, even eating them himself. Four Evans family members had to be hospitalized, and Nicholas Evans, along with his wife and brother-in-law, all had to have kidney transplants. I'm guessing that was the last time he tried foraging for fungi foodstuff. Here in the Midnight Library, we tend to be fairly careful of all of the varieties of mushrooms we partake of. Some of us can happily ingest many of the ones included in this reading, only gaining joy and insight from their ambivalent nutrition. But that's us. Uh, you, on the other hand, may want to keep to what's clearly labeled. Or if you fancy a game of chance and an anxious amble in our woods with the dubious group of industrious women, well, you have their phone number and you know your way to Possum Park. If you're not feeling quite like yourself after your visit here this evening, uh, I can only say, well, I'm sorry to hear that, or you're welcome, uh, depending upon the effect. I leave you with a famous quote about mushrooms by radio host Bill Balance. Eating mushrooms is like falling in love. You never know if it's the real thing until it's too late. Good night, my dear guests. Good night. Madam, um... Oh, I'm nearly ready for the grand ceremony, darling. Just let me get my grandmother's hat and cut a lock of my hair. 
Madam, the honoured guest has drank all of Aunt Wanda's wine, ripped the ceremonial gown, done unspeakable things in the Blessed Basin, and passed out on the throne in the Indigo Room. I'm beginning to think they're not the chosen one. But they spoke of the beacon and the indigo ghost. Uh, the magic of the mushroom slurred their speech. They wanted a sandwich, madam. Bacon and tomato on toast. But they ate the golden mushroom. They ate a golden mushroom, madam. There are hundreds of them. The mushrooms all start out white, and then are made golden and dangerously magical by the uh, supplication of uh, supernatural lupine uh, micturation. <clears throat> Meaning you and the other wolves pee on them. Uh, yes, but it's still magical. <clears throat> The Midnight Library is proudly brought to you by me, Miranda Merrick, and Astonishing Legends. The excellent sound design is by Chris at Sounds Like an Earful. We are kindly sponsored by our spooky, lovely patrons. If you would like to do as they've done and step beyond the cordoned off areas, visit patreon.com slash midnightlibrary. Join our Patreon and you'll hear directly from me. Just make sure your notifications are on. Find us in your local cemetery and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our bizarre merch can be found at redbubble.com slash people slash midnight libraries.